You can be free of your ancient twisted karma, but it is not easy. You should know why you're here. What is your intention? What do you aspire to? Am I the Saturday morning entertainment? I left because, two years ago, I left because I knew that I had some something, I didn't know what it was, to take care of in my own practice. And as we practice the path, everything that you believe will be taken from you. And you will be stripped. It will feel like a stripping away of whatever it is that you hold to. And at some point in the path, you don't exactly want that to happen, but you know that that's necessary. There is your own big mind, your own Buddha mind, that is here now as yourself wants to, I don't, wants is a very strange way of talking about it, but (laughs) has the movement, that's better, to illuminate, to shine on whatever it is so-called inside you that is unknown. And as an aside, for those of you who are teachers in any way, whatever it is in you that is not known is where you will hurt other people. And this is true, actually, not just for teachers. Whatever it is left over in you that is unconscious, that is driving your behavior and your tenacity around what you believe, is the very places that you will get into trouble. So I knew this. And I knew something was going on inside, but I didn't know what. I knew I just needed to take time off. When I take time off, I go to uh, various retreat centers of various lineages. They're all good. And I put myself in a situation where I am not entertained or there are not any distractions. And I open myself to whatever is there. So I'm going to tell you what was there. <laughs> when I was uh, young, my mother began, she began, she was, had cancer and was got sick when I was 25. She died a few years later. She kept handing me a baby book. Do you guys have baby books? You know, cut a piece of your hair for a smile. She kept giving me this book. I didn't particularly want it. What am I going to do with my baby book? But eventually I took it. And when I was 50, (laughs) I read, I read it. 
And in it, there was a page um, that explained how she trained me to go to sleep when I was 14 months old. And the way she trained me to do that was she put me in a room by myself, and uh, I cried a lot. And she didn't pay any attention. She didn't come in. She let me cry. I did that, and she did that. We did that together for three months, which is an eternity for a baby. Stubborn, what can I say? (laughs) After the three months, I actually did go to sleep. But that's not what I learned. What I learned was, my mother doesn't love me. No one is going to come when I am in need. I'm not good enough. You might as well kill me now. That's what I learned. I didn't know that that's what I learned. But that ran my life for many years. 74, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So I go to this uh, retreat. It's a month-long silent retreat. And when I sit in the hall, my meditation is very deep, very quiet, very still, very easy, very fast. I go back to my room, and I am sobbing. Sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. No thought, just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. For two and a half weeks, that went on. And then at the end of the two and a half weeks, these, because 14 months is pre-talking, but after about two and a half weeks, these thoughts began to come up. She doesn't love me, I might as well die. And so I knew then that it was connected to this page that I had written, which at the end of the page said, (laughs) my mother, you have to love her, you know. She tried so hard doing the right thing. This is Spock, you know, Dr. Spock's advice. I later saw his wife. (laughs) 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 Like, it's another story that... Anyway, at the end, the paragraph said, this is my mother writing down, saying about her mother, we're having a really hard time convincing my mother, her, my grandmother, her mother, convincing my mother that we are not cruel parents. I would suggest those of you who have babies to not do that. There's a baby. Make sure you don't do that. (laughs) And of course, you know, consequently, um, with various other karmic things that my 
that growing up in my particular family had, um, my heart had a very thick, solid, protective door for a good deal of my life. But when I went through this at the end of the month, and in fact, I went to a trauma person for that whole year, integrating this and, and the fallout of that event, this whole area completely became transparent. So there's nothing anymore there that way, in that way. And the reason that's important is because when we, there's various kinds of ways of waking up to our, uh, to what we are. One way of waking up is through the mind, which gives a certain kind of uh, seeing, different kind of identity. But this area has to wake up in order to see the wholeness of the truth of our living. That there are no separate beings, that we are one life, that the environment that we think we are dependent on is actually what we are, that without the rain and the earth and the sun, we do not exist. Without the fish and the bumblebees and the birds and the amphibians that are, we are now losing, we do not exist. We are not different. We are one wholeness of being. Even if you know this, it's not so easy to behave in that way because nothing is personal anymore. And any insight that you have at any point along the way has to become embodied or it will become a memory. So, you know, the path has three sort of... As, have you guys read the book, Braiding Sweetgrass? Good. Good. It has three strands. One strand is this, what I'm you know, sharing with you, this insight, which is a gift, really. And another path is a beautiful... Uh, way of living, which is very Soto Zen, 100% devoted to the activity that you're doing as your life. So that up at the monastery, that's how we live. We just follow a schedule and do whatever is needed now, and then now, and then now. Because it's not your life <laughs> that, we are, that you're living. 
It's life living itself temporarily through particular localities for a minute, not long. In fact, tangent, it's really good if you can live your life in, without time. Don't think there's a tomorrow that you're going to be better or that you're going to fix something tomorrow. You'll be nice tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Another aside. (laughs) We're not about fixing anyway. That's not why we practice. We practice to be awake. And you can be awake to whatever it is. You can be awake to your nonsense, your joy, your suffering, your selfishness. We're just asked to be awake in the faith that that awake mind, the knowing quality of your own mind, spacious and luminous, in that spaciousness, things change. And so, as a corollary, we begin to see where we're stuck. And if you see where we're stuck well enough, it transforms as an energetic transformation or a dissolution if it's deep enough. So the beginning of practice is the hardest part. There's pre-practice where people are just living out their karma. They actually have no choice. They're not making choices. Their conditioning is just pushing them one way or another. That's pre-practice, where you totally believe your thoughts. You are your thoughts. You totally believe your emotions. You are your emotions. You totally believe you're this body. And you're trying to grab things to make you feel good and push away things that you think will make you feel not so good. Then there's the first stage of practice, where you have information. You're listening to teaching. You're beginning to see aspects of yourself that create your own suffering. But it's, you're, you're trying to fix yourself. You're trying to you know, stay away from the things that you now see are suffering. You're blaming, you're projecting, you're rejecting, you're resisting. You're seeing a little bit, but you're not helping yourself. It's a mystery how to get from there to stage two. I have never found a way to help somebody get through that any faster than they're going to go. Took me, (laughs) this is embarrassing, (laughs) probably 10 years 
it will not take you that long because the uh, teaching is so available now. But still, it may, if you're like me, very stubborn. I was stubborn, but I was determined. For six years, I tried to get enlightenment. This was in 1968. Six years I spent um, grasping after what I thought would make me happy. And I did everything they said. I stayed up all night and I, you know, whatever they wanted me to do, I did. Nothing. And, you know, in a way, that was a good thing because I developed a real compassion for myself. I'll tell you how to do that in a minute. Remind me to talk about rain. (laughs) But I was also determined, like a bulldog, bit onto something and I wouldn't let go. Once I switched from I want to be enlightened to, okay, I just want to not suffer. Then, just tell me what to do. I will do it. And the first step is getting from blaming and projecting and uh, pushing away the arrow outward and turning the arrow in. In Tibetan, they say, it's part of the Lojong practice, the um, slogans, turn all blame into one. They don't mean package all your blame in a box. They mean whatever you say, whatever you feel, however you respond to anything, all of it, However your emotions come up, whatever thoughts you're thinking is your responsibility totally. No one makes you angry. No one has caused you to suffer. No. Not because it's not true, but because that is not your path to freedom. Your path to freedom is to accept full adult responsibility for who you are. Totally. First. First. That's our path. Right into whatever suffering is there. How many believe me? There are some doubters, (laughs) and it's okay. It's hard to, for someone who doesn't understand and is not yet in phase two, you actually don't understand what I'm talking about. (laughs) It took me 10 years to understand. Excuse me, I was just going to almost swear. (laughs) What the blah, 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 you know. They're talking about. I am responsible. I have a job. I ha- I'm making good money. I take care of myself. I make my bed in the morning. 
I'm responsible. That's not what they're talking about. You can only have a conversation with someone who's in stage two. You cannot have a conversation with someone in stage one because they think they're right. And there's no discussion. They're just trying to tell you their point of view. They're not interested in listening. They want to be right. It's not to say that they're not right, necessarily. It's just that's not where their path to freedom lies. Um, in order to help you move from stage one to two, and then in stage two, basically your practice is called RAIN, which I think you guys know about. And if you don't know about it, I suggest you find out, because I do not have a tough time to tell you. <laughs> My heart weeps for people in pain. It's unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. It's difficult. The path is not easy. It's not. It's really hard. So a lot of you don't need to do it. Really, I don't recommend it. I don't. (laughs) I do not. I never recommend it. Once you start, you need to really go all the way. Otherwise, what I was going to say is you consider yourself a failure. But failure was my, you know, one of my things. So how can you fail at life? <laughs> you can't. We are that life. You can't fail at life. So I wanted to end with a story. Story is um, it's a short story. It's koan. It's called Cypress Tree in the Garden. It's one of my favorites. I'm not going to remember it, but this is a paraphrase. Uh, this is a koan from Zhao Zhou, is one of the great Zen masters. You know, I just want to say something. My talk today is, does not erase the reality of people's suffering. I'm not saying that your suffering is not real. Okay? There are things, our, our parents, our heritage, our society, <laughs> the lunacy that's happening now in our country and has been for 403 so a long time. I had a um, Native American boyfriend for a long time, and the uh, our country was built on a genocide, and then slavery. That is our heritage. So we have to face that. It's not like it's not true. It's true. Okay. The best way to face that is through uh, clarity of where your own, uh, how, how do I want to say this? Blaming and projecting is not how to solve that pain. In the same way that the grief around our uh, 
destroying our life support system. <laughs> Who but human beings would do that? Um, cannot be addressed by hatred, by anger. It's addressed through love. And the reason we can't get to love is because we're not looking at all the places that we project and blame. I'm being clear, right? You understand what I'm saying? You have to come from a place of clarity and love, which does not deny the anger. But you take care of the anger here to be free. And then come from a place of clarity and connection. So this is what kind of what this koan is about. So a senior student. Now I see you. Laura's head was in the way for so long. I came to Jiaozhou and said, um, why did Bodhidharma come from the West? And this, is a, this question has been asked to Zen teachers for many, 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 many years. And there are many different kinds of responses to it. It basically means, why are we doing this? Or what is your practice? Or what's going on here? Is there a meaning in life? And Jiaozhou said, the cypress tree in the garden Aside, here's a plug for trees. Here's <laughs> a what for trees? Trees. Plug for trees. If you have not spent time with a tree lately, or trees, I suggest that you do. Because um, they whisper the truth. You can feel their presence and silence. Trees, be with trees. The trees in the winter here have these, um, what do you call them? Like, not tendrils, but you know, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, going up that way, right? And I have lung, I have asthma, which is why I'm so sorry that I, the coronavirus is after me. <laughs> and I don't want it to find me. <laughs> so I have to go to the monastery. I'm hiding from the coronavirus. <laughs> anyway, you know, they remind, the trees remind me of my own lungs because we are the same. I love the trees. They're breathing out, you know, they're giving me oxygen and I'm giving them CO2. We're partners in breath. You know, it's actually not really a lot of the trees. It's more the... Phytoplankton. Really, I'm in love with phytoplankton. <laughs> they give us 50% of the air we breathe, phytoplankton, and we're killing them. How insane is that? You know? Loony. You've got to love human beings. You know? We're so imperfect. <laughs> but that's the wonderful thing about us, also, in a way. You know, nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. It's okay. We try our best. Always. Everybody is. Why did Bodhidharma come from the West? Oh, I told you. 
because the cypress tree in the garden. Didn't I say that? Thank you. So this is the senior monk. So this is what he tells his teacher. He says, oh, I'm sorry. I was supposed to talk about um, surrender and submission and I forgot. So the senior monk said, thank you, teacher, but can you offer me some teaching without an object, without creating separation, without making an object, which we do all the time, and it's a mistake of perception and heart, because we, our deepest pain is that we feel separate. That's our deepest, deepest pain. Under the whole thing, we feel separate. We're not separate. Well, that's another talk. Okay, never mind. So he says, you know, to his teacher, you know, don't teach me with objects. That's not our way. So the teacher had to respond. So the student again asked him, Why did Bodhidharma come from the West? And the teacher said, cypress tree in the garden. (laughs) Because the teacher didn't see the cypress tree in the garden as an object. The teacher saw life, same as the teacher, same as the student. He could have said, the blue recycling can outside. You know, love is the way. We have to get to a place of connection. So my practice lately, I have a wonderful practice. If I um, feel myself separating, I say, you know, don't tia, yes. Don't separate. Stay connected. Stay connected. Another thing you can do is, uh, just before a conversation, you can say, I love you. You know, this word love is so problematic. Because you say, I love you, and I also love vanilla ice cream. We use the same word. I encourage you to continue practicing here. It's a really, really good, uh, deep, difficult practice that you guys are doing. But if you stick with it, it'll be really uh, beneficial. And I encourage each of you, no matter where you are in practice, that you take whatever your deepest knowing is and live that truth. Whatever it is that you know, wherever it is that you're settled in your life, live out that intention. Live out your deepest desire. So uh, I have a great deal of gratitude for my teachers. And uh, I dedicate this talk to them and to all bodhisattvas, all the great beings, and all the little junior bodhisattvas like myself.
You guys are significant. You don't know how far your best intention ripples out in the world. Just keep walking. Just keep trying. Just keep looking at your own place. Wherever you're suffering, that's where you're stuck. And we dedicate the merit of whatever merit we have this morning to the well-being, all the people who are ill now, the birds and the trees and the bees and the fish and whoever we're hurting, to all people who are unfairly picked on. ourselves, give ourselves also the kind of respect and care that we each deserve unconditionally. May we all be with each other in kindness. Take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.